See, this is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now. And instead of calling it work, realize this is play. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective Australia. I'm Jim Dooner. And I'm Mac Lyon. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week I'm joined by Jeff Goff from Nature Athletics, which is a family-run startup based in the US that is developing a solution to the problem of athletic footwear. Throughout the episode we discuss the issues with conventional sports footwear and how these came about, the different dangers of our modern sporting culture, the power of movement variability and play for injury prevention, as well as the importance of instilling these strategies in athletes as early as possible. This week's episode is brought to you by the TFC Soulmate, your ultimate all-in-one restoration and exploration tool. Made from cork, TFC Soulmates are an eco-friendly, lightweight and durable mobility balance and foot training tool. This nifty piece of kit can be used as a massage roller for releasing tight muscles, a mini foot roller for the best darn foot rub you can imagine, a balance beam for endless play, and even a slant board for incline and decline training. It also includes two toe resistance bands to help get those stiff tootsies stretching. Every TFC Soulmate comes with an in-depth online training system designed by TFC health professionals with more than 50 exercises and a fully structured program to ensure you get the most out of it. The Soulmate Training System 2.0 has just launched with a heap of new ways for you to move and play. Your Soulmate really is the perfect companion to mobilize your toes, feet and ankles, strengthen your lower body, improve balance, posture and alignment, and prevent and rehab common foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, bunions, ankle sprains, Achilles tendonitis, and so much more. Every order also helps Reforest Australia by planting one tree. To celebrate the relaunch of our podcast, we are now offering free shipping Australia-wide for all Soulmate kits. To learn more, head to tfc-shopaus.com. You'll find the link in our show notes. All right, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure. So, yeah, I've been really looking forward to chatting. Um, I grew up playing soccer here in Australia um, or football for those of you Europeans, um, but sp- basically spent a lot of time in very cramped boots and I ended up with many ankle sprains uh, and also a hallux valgus on my right side, which has been pretty stubborn to to restore and rehab, and I'm still in that process. Um, but yeah, since seeing what you're up to, I'm just super excited to connect and hear a bit more about what you're doing and, and the vision with it, because I think it's a, a really important um, area that needs change. So yeah, why don't we just start with a bit about you, your story, and how you got into all of this stuff with Natural Athletics. Yeah, uh, well... I'm Jeff Goff, and I'm the founder of Nature Athletics, uh, so thank you very much for having me. And we are trying to revolutionize the athletic culture for uh, both children and adults. The main driver behind this is that I've been raising my children in minimalist shoes, and there are a lot of people that are like me that raise their kids in minimalist shoes, but when they want to start putting their kids into organized sports, there's no options for them to have healthy, natural development for their kids and then play their favorite sports safely. And I was 
experiencing that problem myself with my son. Uh, I want him to start playing uh, soccer or baseball or what have you, whatever he wants to play. But if I do that, I have to make a compromise. That's the problem is that I have to make a compromise and say, these great gifts that we have given our children, we have to kind of like almost throw them to the wayside so that he can pursue sport activities. With Nature Athletics, we make it so that children can pursue their favorite athletic endeavors and maintain their natural foot health, have nice wide uh, toe box, have zero support, so fully fully flexible, allowing the muscles of the feet to gain strength and flexibility while playing their favorite sports. And so they get that added benefit of actually gaining something in their feet instead of losing it in their feet, which is a very big distinction between what we are doing right now with our athletic culture, which is we are saying the foot isn't good enough. We need to replace it and we need to make sure that we get it out of the picture and the Mm -hmm. shoe does all the work for it. And we're changing that kind of dynamic. And there's a lot of parents that are like us that want this uh, action to be taken. And so that's why we're making nature athletics a reality. And we're also doing this for adults too, that are already in the minimalist market and have already made the change. Awesome, man. Yeah, it comes up so much actually, because once you have the lens of shoes should be foot shaped and you, you realize that, you know, for the, for so long, society has been cramping their feet into these tight shoes. Once you realize that you're like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then you go. And the question we often get very often get is like, well, what about sports shoes? Like how, how can I get around that? And so far my answer has been, well, you know, sports shoes have certain qualities that you can't really get in a minimalist shoe. Like, um, you know, for instance, cleats, like they need to have studs. For, you can't play soccer, outdoor soccer in um, Vivos, for example. Um, but, you know, you sort of sacrifice a bit of foot health while you're playing soccer because soccer is fun and there's all these benefits of doing it. Um, but, you know, it's as long as you're wearing uh, minimalist shoes or going barefoot a lot outside of that, then, you know, you should be able to balance it out. But having a, a soccer boot that's actually foot-shaped is actually is a big game changer a soccer boot or basketball shoe or what, whatever it is that you're doing if you could have a shoe or a cleat that actually supported your foot health while you were playing then you don't have to make those sacrifices so i think that's that's really awesome what you're doing yeah it's it's pretty crazy what we're doing with that youth athletic culture at least in america i don't know how uh, it's going over there in australia but in america we have almost like a professionalization of youth athletics where there's like no mm. off season for kids Mm-hmm. And you'll have kids that, especially like soccer players or softball players or what have you, that are playing these sports year round, practicing hours on end a day, doing skill work, all this stuff inside of their soccer cleats. So mm-hmm. what they're really doing is they're spending tons of time in something that should be giving them really great benefit of learning like neuromuscular skills, gaining strength, gaining endurance all these things, but instead they're compromising it from the foundation and making it so that they have this compromised foundation that is like waiting to, to break at any moment once the fatigue sets in. And that's what we found through NCAA and high school sport uh, injury statistics is that most injuries happen due to fatigue, most non-contact injuries, pardon me, happen due to fatigue in the second half of, of sports or at the end of a long practice. And 
the reason why is because they're not prepared, right? They're not getting this benefit. They're, they don't have a stable base that's strong enough and has the endurance in order to take the activities that they're throwing at them. So they break down and they have easily preventable non-contact injuries like the inst- unstable ankles that you experienced a lot when you were playing soccer mm. or ACL tears, which are a scourge amongst uh, soccer, basketball, lacrosse, field hockey. If you talk to any high-level athlete, that's a that's a female athlete, and you ask them, by and large, how many of your teammates have had a history of knee problems? They will say almost all of them. Mm. And that's nuts. And what it is, is when you get to that high level of sport, it's a war of attrition that we've put upon children now, where we're not even seeing the, the wrath that has been wrought, where so many kids are dropping out of athletic competition because they did have those ACL tears and they didn't stick with the rehab and they didn't keep at it. Or the kids that get to D1, Division One, in NCAA athletics and have two knee tears. Right? I know so many female athletes that have two ACL reconstructions by the time they're 18, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. My, my sister actually was a really um, talented soccer player up until about 16 when she did her ACL and then she never got back into uh, – she, she struggled with the physios who she never really connected with or understood the, the rehab process that they were taking her through and she never ended up going back to soccer. And I know it's one of her, um, I guess – I guess regrets or something that she actually wished she had done was um, to get back into soccer. But once you have one of those really significant injuries, it's quite traumatic and there's a lot of things to work past. And this is this interesting thing that we've been exploring as a, as a team here is this sports paradox where yes, sport is physical activity. It connects you with um, other, you know, members of your community and other peers um, teaches you how to work as a team in in team sports Um, you get sort of play-based you get outside you you do all of these things that are really good for you but the paradox is that sport can actually be really harmful especially when you get into that realm of injuries where you especially with a very significant injury that puts you off the field then it can be quite damaging to your physical and mental health and if you if you only know how to express physical activity through sport and you get injured to the point that you can't do that sport, then that often leads to a lot of inactivity and a sort of um, a negative cycle where, you know, inactivity leads to feeling worse and feeling worse means less activity and, and so on and so forth. So it's that, it's that weird paradox that needs to be addressed. I think we, we're sort of, like you said, sport has become this big industry where, People are basically just getting churned through until you find that, you know, that very small percentage of athletes who are extremely resilient, who get through the injuries or, you know, either don't get injuries or um, get through the injuries. But that's a, a very small percentage of people who get to that very high level. And that's what those industries seem to be just seeking out and not really caring about all of the young people that are getting, um, yeah, these having these bad experiences with sport as a result of the culture. Yeah. It's, it's weird because sport and the weeding out should not be a weeding out function because you broke so many players. It should be, they were weeded out because there was such a great amount of skill in the ones that remained. And I'm not saying that there isn't a great amount of skill in the ones that remain. There obviously is, Mm. 
but a component of it is also the resilience of moving through the massive amounts of injuries that are thrown at these young athletes or being lucky enough to not ever get got by that monster. Um, and so I'm very sorry that that happened to your sister, but that's the, the story of so many young mm. athletes. And that's the tragedy of it is that it's essentially very preventable. And we lay the foundation of the way that we prevent that by giving our children their natural foot health, their stability, their balance, their strength, their endurance, all of that from the beginning, from the beginning of their sports athletic journey, you give them that, you gift them that long game, mm, right? Because yeah. that's what we're essentially playing with the foot health development is we're playing the long game. There's too many parents that are like, oh, my kid's feet are flat and he's like five or three years old. Okay, yeah. His, his muscles for his arches have not developed yet. Well, I got to give him support. Pump the brakes, all right? You don't need to give him support. He needs to develop the strength in order to have his three arches of his foot be supported by muscle, which is what mm -hmm. is actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. But the marketing people of most shoe companies are not going to tell you that. They're going to feed into that, dysfunct that dysfunctional thinking and that kind of like myth that they've created. That is, you need to have support in order to make it so that you can uh, withstand all the things that we, that daily life throws at you, including athletics, including like working, including going to school, all this stuff. The foot is so flawed, the perfect foot, the perfect locomotive instrument in all of the animal kingdom is so flawed <laughs> that it needs to have a shoe attached to it. And mm. we got a shoe for you. Yeah. And that is the, the worst self-fulfilling prophecy of all time. Right. They're saying like this, the, your foot is weak. Here's some shoes so that your foot won't be weak. Meanwhile, the shoes are what make you weak. It's insane. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's uh, the ultimate dependency model, really. It's like, your, you know, your feet need support. Here's the support. And the more support you get, the more support you need. And yep. yeah, it's an, another one of those <clears throat> negative cycles that can be broken but there's a lot of cultural conditioning to work against um to break that cycle because it's become almost common common sense or common knowledge is like oh of course your feet need support and of course good shoes are supportive shoes it's just sort of equated like oh i've got really good supportive shoes and yeah. th that's so commonly said and a lot of clients that'll come to me they'll be like oh, i've been wearing very good supportive shoes and I put my kids in really good supportive shoes. It, it's like supportive has become synonymous with good. With good. Yeah. They put that qualifier in front of it. Good supportive shoes. There's a yeah. store in America called the Good Feet Store. And guess what they sell? They sell nothing but orthotics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we've got something similar here. I don't know if it's a franchise. Um, or maybe we've, maybe there was like the active feet store or something that I saw and all of it was oh, that's an oxymoron shoes, if shoes I've ever that heard make, make your feet inactive. Um, but yeah, what you're saying about kids developing natural foot health and, and really, you know, you can extend that to natural movement health is, you know, we're humans first. We're not, we're not athletes first. I think, you know, we need to respect the actual biology and physiology of our bodies and we need to be exposing kids and, and adults as well to natural movements, all of the things, walking, running, jumping, climbing, crawling, rolling, all of these things that we do tend to do naturally as kids, but then we 
we then sort of are expected to only express that or mostly express that through structured sports. But And sports do include elements of natural movements. Obviously, if you're playing basketball, then you're running, you're jumping, you're throwing. But it's, you know, and arguably you could say any movement is natural. But when you think back to what we had to do um, to survive in a natural environment and how we evolved, then that didn't really include you know, running up and down, back and forth on a wooden floor, um, shooting a, a, a ball through a hoop. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that those sports should be injurious. It just means that, you know, we weren't built to do one thing over and over and over and over again. We were built to do lots of different things in lots of different ways, in lots of different environments. And that's, I think, what the, the culture of industrialized sport is missing is that variability and and like get, getting away from that specialization that you talked about. Yeah, precisely. Rounding out athletes is much better as if you have a child that that does multiple different movements for multiple different sports instead of just saying like, all right, I'm all in on soccer. That's it. Mm. Soccer mm. forever. Right. Yeah. Okay. He needs to he or she needs to work out their upper body, their lower body, get into movements that aren't just uh, straight line and cutting, but maybe doing some things like gymnastics, uh, finding out about their flexibility, their range of motion in other ways. And so there are so many things that we're doing in our athletic culture that are just gearing kids towards breaking, right? The over-specialization is one of the things that's been easily studied uh, throughout youth athletics. And the kids that are hyper-specialized are the ones that are getting broken at higher rates mm. than kids that are more well-rounded. And it's because they are just over-indexing on that one skill. Yeah. It's ironic, really, because the goal, my understanding of the goal of specializing, and, and I think what a lot of parents and coaches want to do is they see talent and they're like, wow, this kid could be, really be something in this sport if he, if he gets good at it. And the way to get good at something is to practice it a lot. And so they're sort of aiming for these super athletes, which you know, many kids do become, but you can't perform at a sport if you're injured and can't play because of your injury. So it's this ironic sort of chasing of performance by doing one thing over and over again that actually uh, essentially counteracts what you're trying to do by bringing forth those injuries. And I think there's also something to be said, and I, I can't remember exactly what the research is on this, but just practicing one thing will get you so far with performance. And obviously to become better at something, you need to practice it. But then becoming adaptable and be learning how to improvise and get creative comes from practicing lots of different things, I think. Um, so there would be a performance aspect to training lots of different sports and modalities as well, not just yeah, the I, prevention aspect. I can definitely say that like from my own athletic career as um, a Marine Corps officer, I call, I call Marines athletes because we're expected to stay at like high standards Mm. of uh, a physical movement we have like physical fitness tests we have uh, combat fitness tests we have um, standards that we have to do in terms of like combat load carriage uh, doing long exercises doing our deployments obviously um, real world situations where we actually have to apply our physical strength in extreme duress and so i'd say that like anybody that's in the service is an athlete and throughout my athletic career the greatest amounts of uh, like strength and benefit that I had was when I was more of a jack of all trades and a master of none. Mm. And I was doing a ton of different stuff. I was running, 
I was lifting weights. I was doing calisthenics. I was riding my bike. I was doing as much play as possible as well, doing things like uh, if you're familiar with GMB or gold medal bodies, yeah, they're their programs that they do. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they have a great movement program. So like doing all of those things and not just like only doing one thing exclusively was something that was greatly beneficial to me and making it so that I was able to perform at a high standard of what the Marine Corps needed from me in my, especially when I was like a Lieutenant and like, you're just getting ridden hard, right? Mm. If you're a major in the Marine Corps, like I am right now, I'm old and dusty and they don't mm. really want me to do much. <laughs> but when you're a Lieutenant, you're expected to be like young virile and like really be, really be able to whip it on with the Marines. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. And it's the, I think the variability piece is just so huge and pretty much what everything is missing in the sports culture plays into it. But I think most people do start to see themselves as a runner or they're a yogi or they're a Pilates um, practitioner or they're, uh, you know, a gym bro or even, you know, even a a CrossFitter, you know, even though CrossFit is very varied, it's still sort of one type of variation and the body really does need, you know, not only varied movements, but I think varied environments and just... And that's exactly what we would get from nature is a lot of very, very, like so much variability and that we, we try to, we can try and supplement that with our, um, you know, environments at, at home and in the city, but there is really no replacement for just getting out in nature. And I think that that is huge for kids as well is that's how they learn to be adaptable and they, they go out and they play and they explore and they get creative and that's that's how their natural foot health should develop and that's how their natural movement health should develop. And then that is the foundation that everything else should be built on. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm. So I'm interested because I was a couple of years ago, I, cause I played soccer my whole life, took a bit of a break after I had all those injuries um, and then got back into like some futsal and, and everything. And the tight boots, there's tight boots in soccer, there's tight boots in um, tight cleats, I suppose, or shoes in futsal, um, which for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's just like a mini indoor, or it doesn't have to be indoor, but a mini version of soccer. Um, but then I, a couple of years ago, after getting into minimalist footwear and barefoot and everything, I got invited to play a, a random game of futsal and I thought, oh, what am I going to play in? I don't have any shoes. So I just chucked my Vivos on. And it didn't work so well because I was slipping and sliding in in the Vivo like it was a little too wide. And so for all the cutting and, and all of that, I was like, oh, maybe these aren't actually the best shoes. Um, and I assume that's part of why um, football boots or, or sports boots do tend to be a bit tighter because of the cutting. But I was wondering whether you found that a challenge for developing a wide toe box cleat is yeah, how you got around that or what your view on all of that is. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenge and it was one that we needed to surmount by uh, kind of what I called locking down the midfoot. And so when mm-hmm. I say, when I mean locking down the midfoot, I don't mean like making the sole rigid. What mm-hmm. I mean is making it so that it's snug enough around the midfoot that it's kind of like holding you like a glove, essentially, mm-hmm. and having a good tight fit inside of the midfoot. And that's what we've done with the Nature Athletics um, Iron Line Soccer Cleat is that we have a knit upper that's covered by hot melt 
And so that knit upper uh, provides a really good lockdown in the midfoot because it has a, l- a little bit more of a form mm, fit. And that's wow. really where you're going to get that sliding is in the midfoot when you're doing that, that cutting and all that. And I would also recommend for adults that are not adapted to like splaying and using their, their feet naturally to play in something like a toe spacer so that you fill in that dead space. Whereas with kids, um, if you, if we had like my daughter, Abby here or my son, Jake, if you looked at their feet, they can, they can grab out like a hand, right? So Mm. they're going to fill that dead space with their activity, with their motion, with their utilizing of their actual feet. That's something that we kind of like don't realize as adults because like we're kind of like cut off from it because especially if like you're like yourself and myself where we've been raised in conventional shoes for so long and it was if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Mm. And we kind of we forgot how to use our feet and we are doing this painstaking process of unraveling all those bad habits, those millions and millions of steps on a broken foundation. And we're kind of untraining that movement dysfunction that we have so deeply ingrained into ourselves. But with kids, we're not introducing that, what I call computer virus, because really what we are are movement computers. We're not introducing that computer virus of moving with supportive shoes.exe, right? We are uploading moving with natural feet, right?.exe. And that never has to be overwritten. That never has to be compromised. Nothing ever comes in and interferes with it if you introduce that to your child at an early age. But the great thing about kids is that they are movement sponges. And if your kid is not, say, for instance, started in minimalist shoes, but they're maybe a little bit more along on their movement journey, they've been in uh, conventional shoes, well, they are still far more malleable in terms of their ability to grab on to new movement patterns than somebody that's say 18 or older, mm-hmm. right? They're able to grab onto that and learn at a quicker rate and get into a new movement skill much faster than an adult is. Unfortunately, we're like over the hill, we're dead. We're about to, we're about to pass on, <laughs> but <laughs> the kids are going to do great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we, if we don't keep messing them up basically. And yeah, exactly. I, yeah, and it's always possible to change, but you're right. When you're a kid, it's your body is a lot more plastic and a lot more moldable, and it adapts to what it's exposed to much more readily. Whereas, yes. you know, as an adult, a lot of our um, our tissues, you know, have become a bit more rigid. They're obviously fully developed. Our neural patterns and our neural pathways are sort of. I guess in, a bit ingrained by that time. And, and I do always mm-hmm. like to emphasize that it is always, you are always plastic, even as an adult and even as an older adult. But um, certainly, the, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, is the old saying. Um, yes, exactly. And, you know, if we can, like I've said, sort of stop that cycle at the get go and just not even upload those computer viruses, like you said, not even put those in there at all, then we give all of these kids the best chance to build an amazing foundation that then means they don't have to do all the restorative work because anyone who's who's done foot restoration or any rehab process as an adult can tell you that it, it is work it is it's um, work yep <laughs> it really yeah. takes a lot of um, effort a lot of time a lot of focus and there's a lot of lessons that can be learned in that process and it's it's not necessarily like a, a bad thing to put in the work but if you could 
instead have an amazing foundation where you can just keep playing rather than having to do all this boring work, then I think that lends itself. And also you get to avoid all of the, the pain and misery, then it lends itself to a much better quality of life and you can focus on, on performance yes. and other things. I think that we have not even tapped into a small portion of the immense potential of human athletic achievement because we've been hamstringing ourselves for the last 60 years in our professional athletics pursuits. We have been intentionally hamstringing ourselves um, so that we are not performing at our maximum potential effort. And when we have a whole entire generation of young athletes that are raised up with a strong foundation, watch out because new records are going to be set in every Mm -hmm. single sport. I guarantee it because they're going to have that strong foundation with endurance that's not going to be injured and that they're going to make it so that they can really build on things where if you're coming in it as an adult, you're kind of like almost hitting it at square one and you have to like retrain yourself into all this stuff. Well, a kid's going to come at it and they're going to already hit it. And then they're going to be at age 18 with perfect strong feet. And then, wow, look out because Usain Bolt is going to have his record Mm. record crushed by a barefoot, by a, by a minimalist raised sprinter. Right. You know, all these people are going to have their records just absolutely demolished because that is what we do is we are extremely efficient movers with strong feet and we've been disabling that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point actually about momentum in in life in general. It's it's a big uh, principle that I find is important, but especially, you know, in the context of athletics and sports is you gain skill and you improve performance I think through a process of a momentum where the more you play, the more it builds kind of like a snowball effect. And it's like, wow, I'm getting better and better. And you learn more and more. And the more, the better you get, the more you want to play. And then, so the more you do and, and it snowballs, but an injury is like someone coming through and knocking the snowball away um, because you then are off the field for, you know, up to a year in some of those more severe injuries, but at least, you know, six to six to eight weeks is very common to be off even for like a, a relatively um, minor injury, but it still knocks your momentum. It still takes away that sort of that snowballing effect that will really take you to those other levels of performance. Um, and it and it can you know not only that, but obviously it can be very frustrating and depressing and confusing if if the rehab doesn't go right and so on. Um, but I think you're right in that if we set these kids up with a, a good foundation and they don't have to do all this restorative work, then they're going to come, they're going to get to their adult life and just hit the ground absolutely pacing and they'll, they'll be able to, yeah, probably break some records and we'll, we're in for a golden era of sport. <laughs> yeah. If, if nature athletics gets off the ground, when nature athletics gets, gets off the ground and we have young athletes playing in our shoes for their whole entire career because that's what we're really asking parents to do is trust us with the development of your young athletes, but we're going to make it so that your young athlete is going to get that strength benefit out of all the movement that they do, that endurance benefit of all the movement that they do. They're going mm-hmm. to get good balance and proprioception of where, of bodily awareness of where they are on the field so that they 
are able to prevent easily preventable injuries. And they're going to be just great for the whole entire rest of their athletic career because athletics is really meant to be a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And in so many ways we treat athletics as a sprint and it's, it's not, it's something that even after you're done with your like quote unquote competitive pro career, you should still be able to walk, right? You should still be able to move. But you look at somebody that was like in the NBA for years and years and years, they, they're not going to run a marathon, right? They're not, they're not going to do anything like that. Um, And it happens to people in the Marine Corps too. People in the Marine Corps too, or the army or the Navy or the air force or any other service uh, internationally, they are getting arthritis at a much higher rate than the general population. It's because of their deficient combat boots that they wear and the movement patterns that are being taught by those services. And the same thing is happening to athletes where they're getting through their career and they can barely move as well. And so mm-hmm. in, in America, we have something called the Veterans Administration or VA for short, and they take care of like all the health care for all of the veterans of America. And the amount of like dis- disability that comes out of the services, not because they're blown up, there's a large amount of combat injuries, especially over the last 20 years of war that we've had in America. But the majority of disability that comes from the service is not from combat injuries. It's just from being in the service. Mm. Yeah, that, that is pretty profound that. And it's it does highlight this sort of performance versus health, I guess, scale where we see people like Marines or, um, you know, people in service or athletes as this epitome of fitness and health. And even, you know, or we see, you know, fitness influences or people like that as, oh, that's what health is. And we've collated this appearance of performance and fitness as healthy, but they're not actually necessarily the same thing. If you're, especially in, in this day and age, like, like you've said, there's a lot of um, Marines and athletes who perform really well and they're amazingly fit and they they go through grueling training to be, you know, these pinnacles of performance, which is what they need. But that doesn't necessarily make them healthy in the long run unless it's, unless it's done in a certain way, unless you're aware of these factors that do influence your health, like your footwear, like the variability of movement patterns and, and, um, load just pr- just basic principles of load management and um, recovery and nutrition and all of these things that are just somewhat left to the wayside and we're just focusing on okay well how do you perform this movement more and better yes it's it's definitely like get through it and get through it as as hard as you can yeah and damn the consequences right where yeah. they say to in the Marine Corps, if you're doing something called a hump, which is where you're uh, taking a long march under combat load with like a with all with all your body armor on and and your big backpack that has like 60 pounds of gear plus your body armor weighs like 40 pounds, so you have like 100 pounds of gear plus your weapon your weapon system, and you're doing a hump. What they do is they tell you to open up your stride. They tell you don't run, open up your stride. And the reason why they're telling you to do that is they want you to lengthen out your stride and overstride as much as possible so that you're extending out and just jamming your heel into the ground. 
And when you're doing that, you're getting this gigantic compressive force shockwave that's just running up your body and compressing all of your joints and wearing them out. And that's why so many Marines have such terrible knees, mm. right? Is because their meniscus are just like gone. They're just like psh, dust gone because of all these compressive forces that happen. And it's, it's especially bad for female Marines because they have shorter legs. They're expected to stay at the same standard as men. They're not allowed to run. So they're always in the back. They're always having to catch up and they're always having to extend their, their stride out even more. And they're doing it on a frame that has compromised uh, in terms of like skeletal density in comparison to men. They have lower skeletal density. And so there are tons of Marines, female Marines in training that I was with that had hip fractures, hip stress mm. fractures, something that you like never see amongst the general population, a bunch of like healthy 20 year old women with hip stress fractures. That's something that yeah. you see in an 80 year old out osteoporosis patient. But True. you put, you put a female Marine through TBS, the basic school and officer candidate school and they will come out with some crazy stress fractures throughout their frame that you will yeah. see in really old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Well, why do they not allow you to run? Is it just more a test of how fast you can walk? Or is it just like a, is it just a mental thing or? You know what? I would love to ask somebody why you're not allowed to run. <laughs> I, don't, I would love to ask like, Hey, what was, the, what's the tale behind why you're not allowed to run? All I know is that a drill sergeant will really get after you if you run and like no running and then <laughs> open up so, your stride it's just it's what they tell you and then you're yeah. just like okay i'm gonna put the lotion on the skin i'll do the, or else i get the hose again and then you go yeah yeah because it it comes back to sort of the you need to have the appropriate movement pattern for the appropriate context and if you're that's why we run is because if we want to move faster than we can walking, then we run Yes, and that, and then our gait changes and we don't heel strike or naturally we don't heel strike, especially along flat ground. Um, yeah. Heel striking is, is breaking, especially when you're running Yes, um, yeah. or at least heel striking and overstriding. And so it's like they're pushing, they're pushing you to do a natural movement of walking in, in an unnatural way be just because they said so and I, I guess that comes back to this culture of uh macho kind of just follow the orders and that that goes in i think that goes in military obviously but also in sports it's this in macho sport. culture yeah. of like just do as the coach says because you know he knows what's going on and he's toughening you up and you know so on so forth exactly it's, like, it's, it's all about you know breeding toughness but ironically, it's kind of doing the opposite by wearing you down. Yes. Yeah. In, unless you're unless you're that, like I said, that's a very small percentage of athlete that can tolerate that. Um, but even then, the even that small percentage of athletes who then go into play professional sports for years and years will eventually, I'd say most of those would eventually get broken down and would end up with some kind of um, some kind of restrictions later on. Yes. Yeah, yeah, some sort of loss of bodily autonomy. Yes, yeah, which which is not fun, and it's humans aren't that good. I don't think at at seeing that long game and what you've been talking about the whole time. It's like it's a marathon, not a sprint. We want to play the long game, but I think evolutionarily, 
we our brains adapted to play more of the short game because yes. it was it was survival. It was what's what's for dinner tonight? How am I going to escape this predator? How am I going to build shelter for my family right here right now? Um, and so it's we're we're not really that good or not very naturally good at seeing that long game and those long consequences. But it is something that we sort of we just have to do because it is such an issue um, and it goes for sports it goes for military like we've been talking about but it just goes for society as a whole is these these little habits and and the environments that we put our bodies in really aren't working for us in the long term and we need to we need to go through a bit of discomfort and and go through some cultural change so that we can actually have the play that long game with with our bodies yeah, and the, the studies bear it out, the peer-reviewed studies bear it out that you can do your transition in as little as 12 weeks, right? Mm-hmm. If you put a person into into minimalist shoes and you give them proper training, in 12 weeks, they will have great amounts of benefit from uh, the strength training that happens naturally from just wearing minimalist shoes. And then if you also like hypercharge that by putting them into giving them foot exercises in their spare time, then they also have great benefits where if you have if you see these really high quality peer reviewed studies that have been done of what happens if you transition a person to minimalist shoes they always when the this here's the really big caveat when the study is done in good faith has a very well run method so look at the method section of that study see how often the instruction is given, see how often the follow-up is given, see how the monitoring is being done. And if those portions of that study are compromised, then you are seeing a compromised study. But in the Mm. high quality, low bias studies where the method is run very rigorously and very well, people come out with much better outcomes health-wise, lower injury rates by being in minimalist shoes and transitioning Versus people that are in the control group of running in quote unquote conventional shoes. Mm. And when you have these breakdowns of the studies, you'll see that they are done in what I call bad faith, where you look at the where you look at the method and you, what they're doing is they're just saying, here's some minimalist shoes, go have fun. No follow-up, no instruction, no nothing. And then they're like, oh, man, I wonder why people are breaking themselves in all these new and novel ways. And it's like, I don't know, maybe because you tried to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And it's, it's like the equivalent of just, uh, I'm trying to think of a good one. But, you know, it's like the equivalent of giving someone who you've never assessed um, like this full training program. You don't know how they're performing the movements. You don't know how much load. It's just like, just go and put as much load on as you can um, and just train, do this, follow this program to the T without any variability. Um, whereas if you actually give someone a progressive training program, you start them off with the basics and you build them up gradually and you, you, know, you gradually increase the complexity and the load, then they're going to have a good outcome. But it's, it's a very different approach. And... You're right with those. There's a lot of interest, I suppose, a lot of vested interest in um, barefoot and minimalist shoes not being good for you because that means that the supportive shoes have to be good for you, Um, (laughs) which, you know, is a rabbit hole that you can go down. Um, And, you know, when I don't think either of us would be sitting here saying that going barefoot and... um, wearing barefoot shoes is going to prevent all injuries because no, it's not a panacea. You, you, can't, 
you can't prevent all injuries and injuries Precisely. are a normal part of life, but you can definitely minimize the risks and you can increase your resilience and your adaptability by exposing yourself to, you know, more challenge basically. And the, the, more, the more support your feet have, the less challenge they are. Um, and the less support they have, the more you're able to challenge them in lots of different ways. Yeah, precisely. You make them more resilient. You're introducing resilience into your system. You're making it so that it's dynamic and able to actually support itself. And you have great outcomes afterwards with the proper training. And that's that's another thing that happened. That's what like bit Vibram in the butt is making claims mm-hmm. of like, oh, it's a panacea. Like you put on uh, five fingers and it's going to change your life forever. No, you do need to actually do some work, right? Yeah. You do need to actually transition yourself. You need to actually do exercises. You need to do a lot more than just throw on a pair of shoes. And that's where they got themselves in some hot water. But they also got themselves in some hot water by not fighting against the bad faith claims that were being put against them as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we, um, we've we actually got a, a sort of sister company over here in Australia that's called Hacking the System. And so we're yes, trying yeah, to make... Yeah, the play-based um, play-based injury prevention for young athletes. We're starting with soccer because um, we were all soccer players growing up. Um, but we're getting kids, you know, preferably young, around nine to fifteen. So far, have been the kids that we've been working with. But we're getting them doing all these natural movements. We're getting them balancing on beams. We're getting them barefoot and playing with hacky sacks to build up their dexterity and their coordination. And we're doing all of these things that, because you're not going to get young kids to go and do a, a, a boring gym program or, you know, they want to play. Yeah, that's, that's why totally. they're doing I sports. Um, and it's like, <laughs> there's all this, all this great research on the benefits of strength training for injury prevention. And, and I don't want to take away from that, but you need to kid, start kids earlier and that kids want to play. So you need to find ways to make these, preventative strategies and these strengthening and mobilizing strategies fun. Yep. And so that's, that's really what we're doing. And I think the, the crossover is that we want to do this and then something like natural athletics that you're, um, you're building can come in and go, well, now you're doing all these exercises and, and play-based things and training, which is great. Um, but now let's stop sacrificing your foot health while you're actually playing your sport as well. And so the, the, the carry over there, I'm very, very excited for. Yeah, the fun, what? the fun aspect needs to be turned up to ten in order for kids yeah. to be engaged. I know that you can easily lose the attention of small children having two of them, <laughs> and yeah. that's that's what's so great about nature athletics is that it makes it so that when your kid is playing their favorite sport, they still have fun because they're not uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a revolutionary statement right there. Is that they're going to wear cleats that they don't hate. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to want to keep on playing. So when we gave our shoes to Anya Jensen, um, her son is test driving our shoes and he was playing, uh, he was at a soccer pl- practice and Anya said that he loved the shoes so much so that he wanted to keep on playing an hour after practice because he felt so great in the shoes. And that's the kind of like stuff that just fills my heart so full yeah. is that it gets kids back to just having fun and not being like, oh, man, I can't wait to get out of these shoes. This sucks. I don't want to do this. Mom and dad are making me do this. Instead, they're just like, oh, man, I'm having so much fun. Let me keep on going. Right? Yeah. Just getting into that flow state, getting into that play state, not having something tear them out of it, being like, oh, you got to wear these shoes or else you're going to break your feet. No. 
All right. What you're going to do is you're going to assure that child is going to have broken feet if you put them in those very bad shoes. If you put them in nature athletic shoes, they're going to have a fun time and you're not going to have to fight your kids. That's a very important thing for parents. If, if a parent heard that, they'd be all like, sign me up and get, give it to me for the rest of my life. Hook it to my veins. Yeah. Right? You don't have to fight with your kids about these shoes because they're comfortable and they look cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's such a big one, actually. I, when you've said that, I just remembered coming home from a soccer game or a training and being like, oh, I can't wait to get these boots off. Like, they just stra- literally strangle your feet. And that, ding, like, ding, I, ding. I always enjoyed soccer, but I definitely could, could never wait until I could get home and just take these bloody boots off. Hated the shoes, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> that, is so, a, that is a universal statement amongst <laughs> yeah. all athletes. Yeah, it really it's it is it's mind-boggling that it that it's come to this. Have you have you looked into the history of sports shoes and and why they are I guess the way they are or is it just come from because I I've my understanding of shoe shoes and and the fashion part of it is that it came from wealth like if you were wealthy you could afford boots and you'd be going horse riding so they're these tight-heeled boots and you know it's sort of stemmed from there but do you know much about the history of I guess sports, um, sports footwear. Well, it it all stems from the last standards, and if people yeah. don't know what a last is, the last is what you put through the production line and put the the shoe on while you put them through the production line, mm-hmm. and the lasts that were made have always been these tight fitting, like tight form fitting, very pointed fashionable last because that was what was being put through the factories and the last all came from like a tradition of cobbling right from like europe from italy that set the standard of like the standard is pointy Mm. the standard is pointy and that's what everybody and that's what everybody throughout the world like learned was the standard for shoe shoe equals sign pointy right yeah and then it then new and newer stuff got like added on really it got accelerated by nike and bill bowerman specific specifically with adding on cushioning toe spring support all this stuff in order to make it so that as university of oregon runners could have these drastically extended strides and so he was coaching a drastically extended overstride in order to have a faster, have a faster runner. But what he was also doing was he was setting up a culture 60 years ago that was going to turn into a gigantic injury monster, Mm. not seeing the unintended consequences of what he was creating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's just the standard was pointy and that's how everything got developed is probably a lot. I think, from memory, it's a lot easier to create um, shoes that are, are sort of evenly pointy rather than different on one end and, and um, yes. are different on one side. Um, yeah. But it's, I think, a very worthy goal. And, and um, I was going to ask what, I guess, what the next step is for Natural Athletics. I know you've got the, the Kickstarter going at the moment, which um, we're going we're gonna to grab a, a couple of pairs on Early Bird from that. Um, but yeah, tell us all about, I guess, the, the next steps and the vision. Uh, the Kickstarter is going right now, and so it will end on November 13th. And so our goal is to make $75,000 worth of sales 
in order to fund our factory molds. And so we have uh, all the soles that are created. We already have our lasts made. Our lasts are actually made off of a clay model that was my son's foot. And then we took it to a professional last maker and uh, had it uh, actually created into a 3D model and then scaled it up and down the size the size range. And wow. so all of the shoes are actually created off of a child's foot that was fully minimalist and wide and strong. And so wow. that's why they're actually good, good, uh, good lasts is because they're actually made off of a good foot, uh, mm. my child's foot. And so what we're going to do is we're going to fund all these factory molds. And so we have three different styles of factory molds that we need to fund. We need to fund our grass cleat molds and we have to do like 18 sizes of those. And then we also have to do our turf, our artificial turf cleat molds, 18 sizes of those. And we also have to do our Raven all day play shoes as well, our basketball sneakers Mm. and do all the sizes of those. Those are only going to be offered in children. So it's going to be less sizes. Um, But that's what we need to fund is we need to be able to fund those things in order to get these into production and why it's so important of having our campaign goal be the 13th of November is that we want to be able to get our order in to the factory on time so that we could meet a, a delivery, like a, a shipping window where we start shipping in April because in America, the spring sports season starts around March, April. And so that kids can kids and adults can start playing their spring sports, their spring outdoor grass sports in our, in our shoes. Whereas if we don't meet our goal with our Kickstarter, then that's going to be a very much so dele- delayed timeline where we're going to have to go back out, try and find investors, try and cobble mm-hmm. together this funding, which is extremely uncertain, especially in this market where we have uh, possible calls for a downturn, e- economic downturns, and where uh, VCs and investors are getting very skittish about this. And then, oh, by the way, they have you have to completely – re-educate them on what the concept of a shoe is and so you get a lot of skepticism especially from uh shoe people people always try and uh, like point me towards shoe investors and then they're just like why why won't nike do this i'm just like nike won't do it because it's going to invalidate their their value proposition didn't didn't new balance try to do this yeah new balance did try to do this and then they destroyed it because they realized that they couldn't sell it because in order to sell it, they would need to actually say that their other shoes are bad for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, a an oxymoron or something. Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, it is very important. Like you said, if, if you can get the earlier you can do this, the less these kids have to be playing in these shoes that are yeah, damaging their feet, frankly. Um, yes. And you know, if, if it pushes out a year or another year, um, then yeah, it, it all, it all accumulates, it all adds up. And so it's certainly something that we'll be supporting and, and promoting, um, is the Kickstarter. By the time this releases, there should be a couple of weeks still left on the Kickstarter. Um, yep. so we can link that in our show notes so that people can go to it. But even if you just Google, um, natural athletics, then it'll come up. I'm pretty sure it's the first one, first thing that comes up. Um, yes. And everybody's but- support is so, so, so appreciated because like my, my small family, right. My wife and myself are funding this all ourselves, Jeez. right. Off of the, 
off of the salary that we make at our corporate jobs, right? Mm. So we're so we're taking the salary that we make off of our corporate jobs and 100% investing it into putting our children in a daycare and then whatever we have left over, putting it into nature athletics, Yeah, right? It's And you you might not have to deal with that in other parts of the world where the childcare system is extremely expensive, but that's like a second mortgage in America. <laughs> and yeah. so it's times are times are tight around here in the golf household, but we find it that important, right? Mm-hmm. It is my life's work. It is my passion. It is what I know to be right is to change this broken system that we have. And that's mm-hmm. why I've thrown all of myself into this. I put my whole entire purpose of my MBA education into this, where I went to the number one school in entrepreneurship in America, because that was my dream school. And I knew that's where I could go to make nature athletics a reality, because I've been having this idea for over six years to make nature athletics because of my experience in the Marine Corps and the broken combat boots that we had. And that is why it's so important for people to throw this support in is because it is a collective effort that the minimalist market needs to make. And it's all also a little bit of a middle finger to the conventional shoe market mm-hmm. to fund this because so many people are just aghast at the fact that we're even doing this, yeah. right? They have no idea why we're doing it. Like, isn't <laughs> Nike and New Balance and Adidas all doing this? It's like, yes, but they're doing it very badly with very yeah. bad outcomes for so many athletes and we need to change it. And that's what nature athletics is going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's a collective effort, effort, like people who think this way, we need to, to support each other in those kinds of endeavors. And, you know, it's, it is, it is tough when you're fighting against the big giants, the big corporate giants of Nike and the big orthotic industries and all of that. But it is a there is a grassroots movement for this stuff because people are waking up to the fact that this is what our feet need, and you know I'm very much looking forward to seeing to keeping in touch and supporting you and and um, and getting a pair for myself at some point as well. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you for having me. Mate, absolute pleasure having you on, and we'll um, we'll definitely be in touch, and hopefully we can have a follow up episode when when everything's pumping with natural athletics. That would be great. Thank you so much. No worries at all. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll, um, we'll put all your details in the uh, show notes as well. So Natural Athletics, Kickstarter, Instagram. and uh, Do you have a website as well or is it just the Kickstarter? Natureathletics.us, N-A-T-U-R, athletics.us. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at thefootcollective.oz or on TikTok at The Foot Collective. If you're ready to restore and explore your own natural function, you can check out our range of physical and digital tools at our online store, tfc-shopaus.com and use the code R2E10, that's R, the number 2, E10, to save 10%. You'll find all the links in our show notes.